Welcome to Dead Wax. Well, it's a podcast where we're going to explore forgotten artists, lost recordings, and things that have to do with everything phonograph. Caruso was the third of seven children and one of only three to survive infancy, and not the 21 children as the urban legend would have you believe. Born in Naples, he worked alongside his father at the Mayor Coffrey factory, and at his mother's insistence he also attended school for a time, receiving a basic education under the tutelage of a local priest. He learned to write in a handsome script and studied technical draftsmanship. To raise cash for his family, he found work as a street singer in Naples and performed at cafes and soirees. At age 18, he used the fees that he had earned by singing at an Italian resort to buy his first pair of new shoes. On the 15th of March, 1895, at age 22, Caruso made his professional debut singing at the Titro Nuovo in Naples in a now-forgotten opera, L'Amico Francesco, by the amateur composer Mario Morelli. Then in 1902, he was engaged by the gramophone company to make his first group of acoustic recordings in a Milan hotel room for a fee of £100 sterling. These 10 discs swiftly became bestsellers. Among other things, they helped spread the 29-year-old Caruso's fame throughout the English-speaking world. In 1896, Emil Berliner, inventor of the gramophone and disc record, contracted machinist Eldridge R. Johnson to manufacture his inventions. Berliner had helped found several companies in various countries to make and sell gramophones. Legal wranglings with Frank Seaman, a former partner of Berliner's in the UK gramophone company, cost Berliner. He lost the rights to sell gramophones in the United States. And after a lot more litigation, they reorganized the Consolidated Talking Machine, changing the name to the Victor Talking Machine Company. The new company was incorporated in 1901. The Victor recordings made by the world-famous tenor Enrico Caruso between 1904 and 1920 were particularly successful and were often used by retailers to demonstrate Victor phonographs. Caruso's powerful voice and unusual timbre highlighted the best range of audio fidelity of the early audio technology, while being minimally affected by the defects. Even people who otherwise never listened to opera often owned a record or two of the great voice of Caruso. Here's side one, La Donna from Rigoletto, 1908. Oh, <laughs> 
In 1903, Caruso made his debut with the Metropolitan Opera in New York City. The gap between his London and New York engagements had been filled by a series of performances in Italy, Portugal, and South America. Caruso's contract had been negotiated by his agent, the banker and impresario, Pascal Simonelli. Caruso's debut was in a new production of Rigoletto on the 23rd of November, 1903. This time, Marcella Sembring sang opposite him as Gilda. A few months later, he began his lifelong association with the Victor Talking Machine Company. In November 1906, Caruso was charged with an indecent act allegedly committed in the monkey house of the New York Central Park Zoo. The police accused him of pinching the buttocks of a married woman. Caruso claimed, a monkey did the bottom pinching. He was found guilty and fined $10. Although suspicions linger that he may have been entrapped by the victim and the arresting officer. The leaders of New York's opera-going high society were outraged initially by the incident, which received widespread newspaper coverage. But they soon forgot about it and continued to attend Caruso's Met performances. Here's side two. Celeste. Romeda, 1911. Oh, <laughs> 
Now, before 1925, recording was done by the same purely mechanical, non-electronic, acoustical method used since the invention of the phonograph nearly 50 years earlier. No microphone was involved and there was no means of electrical amplification. 
The recording machine was essentially an exposed horn, acoustical record player functioning in reverse. One or more funnel-like metal horn was used to concentrate the energy of the airborne sound waves onto a recording diaphragm, which was a thin glass disc uh, about two inches in diameter held in place by rubber gaskets at its perimeter. The sound vibrated the center of the diaphragm, which was linked to a cutting stylus that was guided across the surface of a very thick wax disc. Engraving of sound modulated grooves into its surface. The wax was too soft to be played back, even once, without seriously damaging it, although test recordings were sometimes made and sacrificed by playing them back immediately. The wax master disc was sent to the processing plant, where it was electroplated to create a negative metal stamper, used to mold or press durable replicas of the recording from heated biscuits of a shellac-based compound. Although sound quality was gradually improved by a series of small refinements, the process was inherently insensitive. It could only record sources of sound that were very close to the recording horn or very loud. And even then, the high-frequency overtones and sibilance necessary for a clear, detailed sound reproduction were too feeble to register above background noise. Resonance in the recording horns and associated components resulted in characteristic horn sound that immediately identified it as an acoustical recording to an experienced modern listener and seem inseparable from phonograph music to contemporary listeners. Our friend Caruso's success in the Metropolitan Opera drew the attention of Black Hand Extortionists, an Italian crime organization. They threatened to injure his throat with lie or harm him and his family if he did not pay them money. He initially paid the extortion fee of $2,000, expecting the matter to be settled, but his willingness to pay made them more brazen. They subsequently demanded an even more larger sum of $15,000. He was aided by the New York police detective Joseph Patrosino, who, impersonating Caruso, captured the extortionists. Two Italian men, Antonio Messano and Antonio Sicotto, would be later specifically accused of the crime. Here's side three, one of his famous recordings, The Sad Clown, Pagliacci. 1907. Oh, oh, oh. 
By 1926, Johnson sold his controlling interest in the Victor Company to a banking firms of Selgerman and Speyer and Company, who in turn sold Victor to a Radio Corporation of America. In 1929, it then became known briefly as Radio Victor Division of the Radio Corporation of America. Then the RCA Manufacturing Company, the RCA Victor Division, and in 1968, RCA Records. Most record labels continued to bear only the Victor name until 1946, when the labels changed to RCA Victor, and eventually to simply RCA in 1968. Victor becoming the label designation for RCA's popular music releases. RCA Victor today remains one of the oldest and most successful labels, as well as an electronic giant. Meanwhile, RCA sold its remaining shares. Today, use of his master's voice trademark is split among several companies including RCA in the Western Hemisphere, JVC in Japan, and HMV in the UK. On the 16th of September 1920, Caruso concluded three days of recording sessions at Victor's Trinity Church Studio in Camden, New Jersey. He recorded several discs. These recordings were to be his last. An on-stage injury suffered by Caruso as the possible trigger of his fatal illness. A falling pillar in Samson and Delilah on the 3rd of December had hit him on the back over the left kidney. A few days before the performance of Pagliacci at the Met, he suffered a chill and developed a cough and a dull pain in his side. During a performance at the Brooklyn Academy of Music on the 11th of December, he suffered a throat hemorrhage and the performance was cancelled at the end of Act 1. Following this incident, a clearly unwell Caruso gave only three more performances at the Met. Caruso's health deteriorated further during the new year, lapsing into a coma 
and nearly dying of heart failure at one point. He experienced episodes of intense pain because of the infection and underwent seven surgical procedures to drain fluid from his chest and his lungs. He slowly began to improve and he returned to Naples in May 1921 to recuperate from the most serious of the operations, during which part of a rib was removed. While staying overnight in the Vesuvio Hotel in Naples, he took an alarming turn for the worst and was given morphine to help him sleep. Caruso died shortly after 9 a.m. local time on the 2nd of August, 1921. He was just 48 years old. His funeral was attended by thousands of people and his embalmed body was preserved in a glass sarcophagus at Del Pianto Cemetery in Naples for mourners to view. Caruso's 25-year career, stretching from 1895 to 1920, included 863 appearances with the New York Metropolitan Opera. Thanks largely to his tremendously popular phonograph records, Caruso was one of the most famous entertainment personalities of his day, and his fame has continued to endure to present. He was one of the first examples of a global media celebrity. Here's side four, one of Caruso's best, O Solo Mio, 
Thank you for listening. I'm Sean. This is Dead Wax 78. And I'll catch you on the flip side.